Let's open up to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, let's open up there. If you don't, it will be on the screen. And I I just want to say this, though, before we jump in. This is going to be the anchor of our teaching text and our our series here for the the next little while. But even more than just this series, friends, and you're probably reading ahead of me right now. Do you want to go to the other slide so there's not, there we go. There we go. (laughs) Mystery, no. I just, I think more than ever, if I could just speak from my heart as the lead pastor of this church to you all, what we're about to read here from Jesus, I believe is one of the most crucial things we can hear from him in our time. And it's honestly a text that many of you are probably super familiar with because we sang kid songs about it most of our lives. But if, if, we, if we could just this morning let go of what we think we know so that we can hear more clearly the freedom of Jesus in this text. Are you with me today? All right, Matthew chapter 7 will be in verse 24. Jesus says this, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Would you pray with me one more time before we go one step further? Holy Spirit, goodness you desire to speak to your people. And so God, this morning, we just, just as if there's an altar at the front, we just, we put all of our distractions, all of our concerns, all of our fears and worries, all of our busyness, all of our schedules, all of it, God, and we just, we lay it down so that we can see you more clearly. Keep going back to the story of Mary and Martha. You know, Martha's busy in the house running around doing a bunch of things, and Mary is chosen to sit at the feet of Jesus. Martha gets angry. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things, but only one thing matters. Jesus, this morning, would we sit at your feet? Would we sit at your feet? Because you are good news. Even if we've heard this story a million times, you are always good news. So we love you. We trust you. Holy Spirit, would you speak? because we desire to listen. Amen. Jesus ends the most famous teaching he probably ever gave, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He ends all of that with one single metaphor, a foundation. Here in the Gospel of Matthew, over the last two chapters, which we just ended here in in verse 24 all the way through to the end of it, Matthew 5 through 7 is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Basically, Jesus teaching what it really looks like in real time, in real life, what it looks like 
to live a life that follows him. Jesus talks about loving your enemies. He talks about marriage and he talks about money and the things that we own. He talks about promises that we make and how we can be trustworthy with our words. Jesus talks about worry and how we spend so much of our lives living in fear about the unknown and what tomorrow will bring. Jesus literally covers every aspect of our lives, every struggle, every temptation, every choice that we make, every single default and way of life we could live in. He very much covers everything. And he instead offers a completely different way. What he would call the most true way. The most eternal kind of life. A life of peace and joy and love. But it only comes when we follow his way. And at the very end of all of this, these two chapters of just rich and dense teaching about what life in the kingdom of God looks like, he ends it all simply by saying this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Today we're starting a vision series. It's, it's a time to look at who we are as a church and honestly have the courage enough to ask the deep questions. The deep questions of who we are, what do we value, who do we follow? Now, not just corporately, though, that's kind of the easy part. You know, we can grab some good words and put them on a website and say, here's our vision statement, right? That's easy. But really what a vision series is for is to actually take the vision of Jesus and actually allow it to examine our individual lives, to actually let the eyes of Jesus come in and lead our families and as individual people, and ask the deeper questions. What do I value? Who do I follow? Building the house, a return to discipleship. Discipleship isn't really a word we use often. Most of the time we hear it here in the church. So let me ask the question, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? What is discipleship? Well, the best word that we have that kind of captures the meaning of the word disciple would be the word apprentice. A disciple would be a devoted student. A disciple is someone who has come to learn under a master. For example, if I wanted to become a master carpenter, I would find the best carpenter I thought was around me, and I would go and I would find them, and I would learn everything I could from that person. Right? I would leave every other idea of carpentry, which I'll be honest with you, is very small, so that would not be very difficult. I would leave all of that behind in order to learn from someone who has mastered it well. I would find a carpenter that I wanted to be like. I would get all the clothes, I would get the gear and the tools, and I would probably have to learn how to drink double-doubles from Tim's all the time and not eat any meals. The one thing I remember, the one stint of about six months of carpentry that I did is we did a lot of talking, a lot of drinking double-doubles, and not eating a single meal. Really healthy guys, right? And then what I would do, I would take everything that I was taught. If I'm a good apprentice, I would take everything that I was taught, and I would make what I learned the foundation of my life as a carpenter, right? My whole life as a carpenter, the foundation of that life would be built on what I learned. This is a great picture as to what it means to be a disciple. In the ancient world, disciples left everything behind in order to follow their teacher. And I mean everything. 
Their lives became about following their teacher because they trusted that they were being led towards the good way. They trusted they were being taught what was right because that's why you're following somebody, to be led. This is what Jesus is talking about in what we just read in Matthew chapter 7. To trust these words of Jesus so much that they would actually rebuild their entire lives on him. But if you notice in the the text this morning, Jesus doesn't just talk about one foundation. Jesus talks about two foundations. Ultimately, we can build our lives on one of two foundations according to Jesus. One, a firm and a trustworthy foundation. Or two, a broken foundation. Now, we all have a foundation. Every decision we make or we don't make, every life direction we choose to follow, every paradigm or definition of the good life that we take on, it's built on something. Or another way we could say it is that we all have a why. We all have a reason for doing what we do. Even if you believe you don't have a reason to do the things you do, that right there is something you are building your life on. See what I did there? We all have a why. Now, I didn't grow up playing hockey, but one thing I became very aware of as a young kid is that this wasn't just about these families setting up their kids well to play hockey. Most families that I grew up around literally built their entire lives around one thing, and it was the sport of their kids, hockey. There was a whole community of families who had this very core thing at the center of their lives. They traveled together, they ate meals together, they spent thousands and thousands of dollars on gear together, they bought matching clothing together, they bought casual clothes so that they could all match to get to the practice together. Their entire lives became about hockey. Hockey and being a family that's surrounded by hockey very much became their reality. But instead of hockey, maybe for you it's the job that we've dreamed about since we were a little kid. And so every single decision we make gets us to that point. Or maybe it's the house full of kids that we've been dreaming about since we were young. And so we make decisions based on that desire. Or it's the full garage of toys that we love making noises in late at night in our garage of the engines. Right now, listen, none of those things are bad. None of those things are bad. Not at all. The problem we all run into, though, sooner rather than later, is that these things aren't strong enough to actually build your life on. They're good things. Don't get me wrong. Those are all fantastic and good things, but friends, they're not good enough. Because eventually hockey season is over and the time comes when you realize your kid isn't actually the next Sidney Crosby like you thought they were going to be. Right? The dream job is still a job and then eventually it just kind of gets mundane and you're left feeling pretty dissatisfied. And the house full of kids very literally becomes a very loud house full of kids and silence is pretty awesome. Not speaking from experience. The garage full of toys never seems to be quite full enough. And you're left with the feeling at the end of the day, is this it? Is this all my life is actually going to be about? Because if it is, I think I might have bought into a lie that this was going to be my everything. See, the the thing about all these foundations that I just described, they all have one single thing in common. They all have everything to do with what I can get for myself. The common theme in everything I just described is simply me. 
The hard part is we often don't know how strong or weak a foundation is until a storm comes. The heartbreaking question for many of us when this does happen is, what foundation have I actually built my life on? But here's the obvious question. Why do we do this? Why do we oftentimes build our lives on weak foundations? Because honestly, it must have started somewhere, or are weak foundations just the very sad story that we're all destined to have? Before we go any further, let me tell you one thing that is the anchor to all of this. We are going to go to the words of Jesus. He says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Friends, there is a firm foundation. There is a firm foundation. We are not destined to build on weak foundations. There is a firm foundation, and his name is Jesus. But to understand the weight of what Jesus is actually saying here, we have to go back to the beginning because we have to know from the very beginning how it all started. Are you with me this morning? Yes. In Genesis, we read that God created everything. We, most of us know this already. The galaxies, the stars, the moon, the planets, solar systems, everything we know around us, including human beings. But what we also see happening at the very beginning of our Bibles is not just that God created, it's that God set up a firm and true foundation. The world started with a true and firm and trustworthy foundation, and it was simply Him. Everything was built on him and his presence. God was what made everything good and perfect. Not creation itself. It was only God that made it good. We talk about this all the time here at Lighthouse Church. It's God's presence and God's presence alone that made everything perfect. We read this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. God saw all that he made and he said it was very good. But then it goes on in Genesis chapter 2, at the beginning of that chapter, it says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work that he had been doing. It says that God rested. It's an interesting thing. Does God need to rest? Was he tired? Was it like he was hauling traps all day? No, it's not like that. He rested because he was satisfied. He was done. His work was perfect. Maybe it's like you've been hauling traps all day and the catch is being good and you're sailing back in at the end of the day and the sky starts to turn purple and red. And like I said last week or two weeks ago, you can't quite tell where the sky ends and the, and the ocean begins. Just, ah, I'm satisfied. But then it says that God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Well, what does that mean? The best way we can understand this is that God moved into what he created. God filled all of creation with his goodness and his holiness. And therefore, that is what made it very good. There was no sickness in what he created. There was no brokenness in what he created. There was no death no crimes, no poverty, no murder, no famine, no viruses, no injustice, no hurricanes, only perfection. Only perfection. Can you even wrap your head around that? Can you imagine a world like that? God was the perfect and true foundation of all things. 
This right here is the beginning. There's no but here. It's this was how creation started. This right here, friends, this is how life began. How good and beautiful and perfect of a picture is this? And then we get to Genesis chapter 3. We read Adam and Eve decided that they would rather build their house, just to keep using that metaphor, to build their house on their own foundation. Honestly saying that God's perfect and good foundation just simply was not good enough for them. And by doing so, they leave God's perfect and good way behind. And friends, to this day, we are still building on the wrong foundation. The foundation of me. Aching, though, for the original foundation that we were made for. The only true and good and perfect foundation, which is simply God's presence. But as many of us know, this is not the end of the story, is it? The powerful thing and the beautiful thing about the, the very beginnings of the creation story is that God doesn't give up. God doesn't walk away. He makes a promise that one day there would be one who would come to rescue what he loves. God himself, not just another, but God himself would come in the flesh and heal what has been broken. To once again establish the only true foundation so that his creation could once again build their house on the rock. And what we read in the beginning of the, of the Gospel of Luke is this. An angel appears to a young teenage girl and says this. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Jesus, the Son of God, the promised one from the very beginning, the one fulfilling the promise that God made all the way back in the beginning is God in the flesh, even as a boy built on the foundation that is the presence of God and who would one day open his mouth and declare, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Basically saying, I am here I am here to show you the good foundation that is the presence of God. So, leave your old way behind. That's what repent means. Leave your old way behind and follow me. Friends, this is the call from Jesus. And even here today, let me tell you, he has never stopped giving that call. Jesus says, come follow me. Now, follow, it's a word we use often again in the church. Let's explore that word a little bit. It's the Greek word opiso, and it means to come after. It means to no longer follow one way and instead follow another way. It's an action. It's a verb. It's not a noun. It's something that we do. It's a physical response. It's what a disciple would do. They would leave their old way behind in order to follow the one that is showing them the right way. Very simply put, my friends, this is discipleship to Jesus. This is what it means to follow Jesus, but it's also nothing less than this. This is exactly what Jesus is saying Matthew, in Matthew chapter 7, just in different words. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and what? Puts them into practice. Practice here is another verb in the Greek, and it's this one here that I don't know how to pronounce, and I'm not going to try. But it means to create. It means to make 
It's to shape and it's to mold and to form. It means to do something with. Do you see all of the verbs that are being used by Jesus right here in these invitations? What we need to capture here from the words of Jesus is that this isn't just simply about an idea to understand. Jesus is not just simply a concept for us to wrap our minds around. He is someone to follow. This is about action. Knowing the truth and trusting the truth so much that you would actually build your life on that one truth. Let's go back to the metaphor of the carpenter for a second. If I'm learning to become a master carpenter and I'm learning all the skills and the abilities and everything else, and then I decide to not follow what I have learned, how well do you think I'm going to do at carpentry? You don't have to be nice and cute. I'm going to be an absolute train wreck. (laughs) No one should ever buy anything that I build to live in and no one should buy anything that I build to sit on because it will fall with a great crash. Right, It would be completely unwise of me, especially as an apprentice just learning how to be a carpenter, it would be so unwise of me to not follow the one who has been teaching me. Or as Jesus said, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. The point of submitting yourself to learn the true way is so that you can follow the way that you are shown. That's why you have come to follow someone, so that you can be led. It actually becomes our deepest joy because we have been shown the true way. So in very much real-life examples, if Jesus says to love our enemies and live a life of forgiveness, this becomes our foundation. Not just because we have to, but because we have discovered how much better of a way he actually is. If Jesus says, feed the hungry and take care of those who don't have a home, and as Jesus said, what you have done to the least of these you have also done for me, this right here becomes our foundation, not just because it's a nice thing to do, but because we have discovered in real life that when we love the way Jesus does, it is the most rich life we could ever live. If Jesus says that we need to seek first his kingdom and what he says is right, and everything else will be added as well so that we don't have to worry about our life. This right here becomes our foundation, not because it's a good piece of advice, not because we read it on Twitter or whatever it's called now, but because we have actually tasted and seen that when we trust in the words of Jesus, we are actually led to the most real life imaginable. It's not about duty, it's about desire. I become devoted to Jesus because I have learned when I am obedient to his good way, oh my goodness, I am caught up in life and life to the full. But the opposite is also true. If we ignore what he says, if we instead hate our enemies, If we ignore those Jesus told us to love, if we seek first other things other than God's good way, to be very simple, we just are not following his way. We've chosen the wrong foundation. But what makes us choose a foundation? What's at the heart of all of this? Why why do we choose to build on something? Ultimately, friends, this comes down to trust. We build our lives on what we feel most confident in. 
right? We build on what we've put our trust in. The author of Proverbs speaks directly to this in Proverbs chapter 3, and we read this this morning during pre-gathering prayer. He says, trust in the Lord with half of your heart, with a little bit of your heart. No. All your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. In all your ways, submit and he will make your path straight. Oh my goodness, I can't think of a more countercultural truth in our time. We love leaning on our own understanding. You're probably thinking to yourself, how do we actually do this? Right? Because here's the thing we can't do this alone. We love our own way too much. The other day, I asked Adeline Olive to clean up their poly pockets, and yes, that's still very much a thing. At least now they're rubber pieces so you don't hurt your feet as much. Ha, ha, ha. Come on. And what I got when I asked them to clean up their toys was a very strong eye roll and a very bold no. (laughs) Okay. We love our own way too much. Or when Jessie's having a bad day because Sam hasn't been sleeping very well and I come in the door and she's at the end of herself and she just asks, John, can you just simply fold up some of the leftover laundry and I get irritated because I had a rough day too and so I roll my eyes a little bit. We like our own way too much. Yeah, but me, what kind of day did I have? Just like Adam and Eve in the beginning, we build our lives on the foundation of me. We need help. Friends, we need help and listen. That is not a word of condemnation. We need help is actually an invitation to freedom. Remember what what it was at the very beginning that made everything good. What was the foundation that made everything perfect and good at the beginning of all creation? What was it? God's presence. It was God's presence, wasn't it? We need to once again be filled with the good and the pure presence of the presence of God. Simply put, to follow the way of Jesus, we need God's presence to once again live in us. We need the Holy Spirit to transform us to do what He wants versus what we want. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter, or yeah, Ephesians 4. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off the old self. Put off the old foundation, the foundation of what I want, and instead put on the new self, the foundation of Jesus. But Paul continues in chapter 5, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise. Sound familiar? Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, this sounds like kind of a one-time event. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Cool. That's not what Paul's talking about here. What Paul is talking about is be filled and keep being filled. This is a day to day to day to day continually being filled with the presence of God. If the foundation of who we are is what gets us into trouble, simply put, friends, we need a new foundation. 
Just fixing up some of the windows and the doors and the drapes and everything else is not going to fix a rotting foundation. Anybody who's had any kind of renovation project, you can do a bunch of really nice stuff on the outside. And for a time, it can really ignore the broken foundation laying beneath the surface. But eventually, eventually the house will come down with a great crash. It's not good enough to slap some good stuff on the front and say, well done, everyone. You're just ignoring the problem. All of this right here is how we rebuild our lives on Jesus. This is how we trust in the Lord and lean not on in our own understanding. In very real time, we submit our ways to Him and He makes our path straight as we obey where He's leading, as we respond, or as Jesus said, put His words into practice. When we want to blow up because we're angry at our spouse for not emptying the dishwasher, no elbows, It's very real, isn't it? When we get anxious and afraid because we don't know what the fall is going to bring. Or when we get irritated because the lineup at the Independent is taking too long. Or maybe we're terrified because we don't know how we're going to pay the bills. Whatever very real-life storm you and I face on a daily basis, we don't follow our way anymore to follow Jesus. We trust in the Lord and lean not on our old ways We let go and we let him lead in how we speak and how we respond and how we live. In the ordinary mundane moments of our lives, we become a living example of the goodness of God because we've built our lives on the foundation that is Jesus. When COVID hit, the world began to shut down. We saw so many of the foundations we've built our lives on begin to crash, yeah? The economy, shopping, governments, travel, big events and experiences. So many foundations we thought would never fall apart began to fall with a very great crash. And let me just be honest, many of them are still falling. And all it took was one simple virus and the whole world came to a screeching halt. This may sound really dark, but we can say this because we have a living hope. Friends, we don't live in a world right now that's built on the foundation of Jesus. We ver- I don't think we have to sugarcoat that anymore. I think it's very real, and I think if we don't see that, we're kind of living with our head in the sand. We live in a world that is very much built on the foundation of me. And friends, that foundation is very crumbly. Did you notice something that Jesus said at, in our teaching text at the beginning? He said, The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. There's no if in what Jesus said. Storms come. Uncertainty is very real. It may not be COVID or a world disaster, but I know, because I know all of you, very most of you very well, a lot of you are facing some very real storms right now. Jesus didn't promise that the storms won't come. He promises a living hope in the middle of the storm. A firm foundation no matter how shaky the world becomes. Hebrews 6 says we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Why do we have an anchor on a ship? Because tides go, storms come, things drift. We need a firm and secure anchor so that when the storms do come, we know where we're planted. Friends, this is Jesus. Or as the hymn says, rock of ages, 
cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Friends, what a hope. What a hope. Jesus gave all of himself on the cross so that we could be free. Free from choosing broken foundations. Jesus surrendered himself and defeated death so that we could experience the only true life in him. We're going to get into that more next week. But the worst thing that we could do is build on what we already know is broken. But if you find yourself in that place this morning, don't sink into hopelessness. Jesus is calling you by name right now. Come. He says, follow me. Rebuild on me. He's crying out, I'm here. Follow me. Building the house, a return to discipleship, very simply, this is a call to come and follow Jesus. It's a call to remember, friends, who we are, to remember who we said we would follow. It's not a gimmicky call. There's no pyrotechnics and laser shows to get you all, wow, let's go. That's not the kind of, and that's honestly, if I did that, I'd be so fake. It'd be so lame. You would hate me for it. Because I've lived in, I've, man, I've been in the church most of my life. And gimmicky hurrah, hurrah calls, they don't last. This call lasts because we're talking about it 2,000 years later. It's not a call that you can build for yourself. It's not a call you can conjure it up because you're good enough for it. It's a call to humbly submit to and say yes. It's what Jesus called life and life to the full. It's what he called a life filled with the Holy Spirit as rivers of living water where no one is ever thirsty. It's as David described it, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Listen, this fall is about to get busy if it hasn't already. There's going to be sports, there's going to be schedules, there's going to be things to do, and honestly, none of us are going to be able to keep up with it. Let's just tap out now. But before we say yes to another thing, may we ask the most important and most essential question any of us could ever ask. Am I building my life on Jesus? Friends, the only way to peace, the only way to joy, the only way to satisfaction is to follow the way of Jesus together on Graham and Ann. This isn't a new call. This isn't a new vision. It's actually a very old one. It's actually the most pure and original one. It's an ancient way to devote ourselves to a full-hearted trust and love to the way of Jesus. Dallas Willard once wrote this, and I'm coming in for a close here soon. The greatest issue facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking needs is whether those by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples. Students, apprentices, and practitioners of Jesus Christ steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. And this sounds good on a screen but it can't remain as words on a screen. This has to take root in our actual lives. The call from Jesus to discipleship, friends, it's a personal one. 
There is no other firm and good foundation other than him. In 1 Corinthians 3.11, Paul writes, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. Jesus is inviting us not to just simply know in our minds that he is the right way, to actually trust that he is so much so that we actually put his words into practice with the lives that we live. In our marriages, to be husbands and wives who love Jesus and let him lead our marriages. In our families, to raise kids to love Jesus more than sports. That Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Listen, friends, if I raise my girls to know that sports will be the savior of their life other than Jesus, I am not raising them to follow the way of Jesus. Sports are not good enough. Am I saying sports are bad? No. I love football. But they're not good enough. Because one day the sports will be over, and at the end of the day, they're going to grow up to be 18, 19, and wonder, what did I build my life on? In our finances, when times are hard, we need to not trust in our own understanding and our own ability to take care of ourselves. We need to trust in Jesus. To trust him enough to say, God, here are my finances. I am stuck. I don't know how to pay the bills. I don't know how to do this. Would you show me the way? And how we spend our time to actually get into this. To read our Bibles and know what's in here. Not just because we talk about it as your pastors and teach. We love to, listen, I do this all day. I love this. But my deepest desire is that you take this and you go home and you're like, man, I don't understand what's in this, but I'm going to dive into this. John, what's going on here? Because you're chewing on it. You're taking it home and you're saying, this is literally life to my thirsty soul and I need it. To not spend and waste the hours of our lives in front of screens, but actually live a life deep in relationship with the presence of God and with one another. Here is the call to us as a church to make Jesus the foundation of our lives. Not just the foundation of this church as a corporate body, but for you and for me and our kids and our grandchildren to know that Jesus is the only true and firm foundation of our lives. Eugene Peterson wrote, to follow Jesus implies that we enter into a way of life that is given character and shape and direction by the one who calls us. To follow Jesus means that we can't separate what Jesus is saying from what Jesus is doing in the way he is doing it. To follow Jesus is as much or maybe even more about feet as it is about eyes and ears. As we begin this season and really this series together, here's the question. What are you building your life on? We're going to make some room here in a moment to respond and, and, and make room for the Holy Spirit just to lead us in how to respond. But maybe, honestly, this morning, the Holy Spirit's just been making you aware very much the whole time I've been teaching to leave something behind. Listen, whatever the Holy Spirit may be inviting you to leave, Jesus is better. Jesus is far more trustworthy. And friends, he will never let you down. It may be painful. It usually is painful to leave something behind. And it may hurt. It may not even make sense. It may seem extreme and it may seem crazy, but listen to the words of Jesus. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Friends, whatever he is inviting you to leave behind, he is worthy of it every time. Maybe this fall it's not a time to say yes to another thing, but it's actually a time to say a deeper yes to Jesus. 
Maybe for you, the foundation of self-reliance is very much your world. Right? If I can just get everything lined up in my life, if I can just stay busy, if I can get my kids in all the right activities and sports, then they won't end up like I did. Or if I could just distract myself enough, then I'll be okay. Friends, jobs and careers can't save our soul. Sports can't do it. Busy schedules can't do it. Distraction and activity can't do it. Jesus is offering a very real way. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. 